Hi, I'm Justine. And I'm Kieran. We are a brother and sister, and this is our podcast. Yeah. So, what are we talking about today? Well, we discussed our podcast would be around reviewing films and TV stage, series, yeah. books, that sort of thing. We're both quite big movie fans, but we watch quite different things, I think. We have some similar interests, but we have quite different tastes, I think, in film. Yeah, so we just thought we'd start off by um, introducing the kind of films that we like, um, probably like our top five. Yeah, and, ex- and, and then explain them, and then um, kind of take it from there. Maybe next time we could pick a movie to watch together, and kind of discuss our review of it. Yeah. So, Justine, do you want to start with what? What's one of your favorite movies? I find it quite hard to narrow down, but I think recently one of my top movies would have to be Joker. Mm-hmm. Recently, um, I'm generally quite a fan of movies from the 90s, like Fight Club is up there for me, Usual Suspects, that kind of thriller genre slash uh, mafia film is generally my go-to, but I was quite surprised with the quality of Joker. It's been quite a while since I liked um, a mo- like a more recent movie that much. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the style that I, I mean, Joker is one of the, my favorites as well. I think um, my genre is quite different because I like to watch films that have really uh, well-developed stories. So it tends to be the more simpler films. So mm. things like The Shawshank Redemption is definitely the top film for me. Um, the Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. Um, those kinds of films are the ones that I'm attracted to because they're just very simple in its storytelling. And that's um, you, you can't have a strong film without really good storytelling for me. So do you think you kind of prefer films that have story over character development or Well I mean I think I I, w- I would probably say the story is, is very important. Um there are some films that you know they they work off a theme and then you realize there's not much of a plot to it or they work on one element. So similar to Joker, yeah. there's not really much of a plot. You can't go to someone and say this is exactly what happens in the movie. It's really just the exploration of the character development. And I appreciate films like that. But I think the story, if it's very, very strong, um, and that's where you have the freedom to be a lot more simpler, um, I, I tend to go towards those films more. I think I may be slightly opposite in that sense, is that I quite like very complex film structures. Mm. I like I like being surprised. I'm not a huge fan of like very predictable movies. I don't like knowing what's going to happen if i can watch the first 10 minutes and be able to tell you what the rest of the plot is i'm like i'm not really gonna oh no I'm, i agree I'm, I'm the same as well yeah so i think what like tarantino movies are probably my all-time favorites huge tarantino fan and what i really like about his films is they tend to have non non-linear um, plot lines you have stories that intersect like in um, pulp fiction or you have um, circular storytelling or um, in the case of Reservoir Dogs, there's a lot of back and forth with the timelines. And I quite like playing with structure in that way. Um, I do appreciate films that have uh, a lot of character development. I think that's probably why I liked Joker so much, is that it really centered on his character and his struggle and his development and 
kind of getting it focused on getting inside his head and i think it made it a very accurate representation of mental illness because it was a very close study of a subject that i think wouldn't normally be studied in that light not that there hasn't been films about madness before but i think this was a very human take mm. on it yeah no, I mean, I went into the cinema thinking it was going to be an action movie because one of the things I do is I don't like to watch trailers or read much about the films before mm. I go and see it. Um, I like to be surprised because... I think nowadays the trailers give away a lot of yeah, the film. They yeah, they do. They do. And and we don't want to be, you know, in that situation where we just know straight away. We spend 20 bucks on a ticket and we already know what's going to happen because we saw it in the trailer. Yeah. Or sometimes they put only the best parts in the trailer and you look forward to them and it, it takes away from the whole story overall. So I went in thinking it was just going to be an action movie. Um, I tend to like the superhero movies. Mm. So I was just, you know, going in to see it. And then I was very, very surprised to walk out of a more psychological thriller. And I, I really appreciated it. I it really it didn't feel fantastic. like a superhero movie. No, it really didn't. I mean, there were really no... I think the only connection was when you met Bruce Wayne as as a young boy and that only then, if you knew nothing about the superhero world, you would not say it's a superhero film. But if you knew Batman, that would be the only tie throughout the entire film that you would actually be able to work out the difference. I think it just adds another layer. Like, I think it would have been very hard to make a movie like this without having that underlying superhero story in the sense that to pitch Joker as a film, as as a DC Comics film versus the story of a sad clown. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's... The fact that it was a superhero movie gave it the star power that it needed to get to the mainstream. But I think that its content is very much the kind of film that you would find in a film festival. It has a very indie film kind yeah. of vibe to it. And without it being Joker, without it being connected to Batman or DC Comics... I don't think it would have hit the mainstream like it did. No, definitely wouldn't have. And I think I I know that if it was part of the DC, um, what do they call it? The um, expanded expanded universe, I think. Cinematic okay. is Marvel. Marvel. Um, it it would not have fit in that. So I mean, I think DC's model is that they do some standalone films, but some are in the DCEU. So this one was a standalone, and I think they had a lot more freedom to be able to create around that instead of trying to find something that fits in their universe or in in the um, expanded universe. I think also, um, and I think this is where Deadpool kind of broke that barrier, is having a superhero film that's also restricted. Hmm. Um, because, I mean, up until Deadpool, all superhero movies were really geared towards uh, a younger audience, so they couldn't really have any strong, dark themes or bad language or anything that was very dark, I yeah. think. Um, and Deadpool kind of broke down that barrier because I think they saw how many people really were interested in seeing something that was restricted. Yeah, because Deadpool, when it was released, was the highest grossing, was it superhero film for Restricted or something like that? Yeah, something. And um, when Joker came along, it broke that record. Yeah. Um, initially, they wanted to make Suicide Squad R16. But then... That might have made it better. It would have made it better because <laughs> they took out a lot... And they made it um, M instead, and that just kind of... That's why it really tanked, because people had high expectations for it, and then they dropped down the ratings. So I think they probably learned their lesson after that one. But I mean, again, Suicide Squad would be part of the DCEU, so they had to make it marketable for everybody. Yeah. This one, they didn't have to. 
But then, like, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Deadpool is... Deadpool's not part of the Mar- uh, Marvel um, Cinematic Universe. Is it not? No. Only recently is he actually being added into it. And that's because of the different companies that own different rights to right. I see characters. Okay, well that I guess that makes a bit more sense. But I know that Deadpool, like as a character, featured in some of the other um, Marvel films, but they did it so badly because he wasn't allowed to be Deadpool. Yeah, yeah. I think that would have been like, I think the only one that he was able to connect with is X Men because they were under one branch. But yeah. now they're all under the same. So right. I think in the new Spider Man film, Deadpool's going to be part of it. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes, considering Spider-Man is very targeted at a younger audience. Yeah. Um, what are they going to do with Deadpool? How are they going to... If they're merging the two, I think they're really going to have to censor Deadpool. They may even make a thing out of him having to be censored because it's a child-friendly film. I mean, yeah. his, his character's very break the fourth wall anyway, so... It'll be interesting to it see. It would make sense for them to do something like that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that one turns out. But, um, yeah, I think we'll have to just wait and see. But definitely Joker was the one of the best films of the year. Yes. Uh, of 2019. And it shows by the you know, 11 nominations for the Oscars. Yeah, and I, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix's win was definitely highly deserved. I thought he he really got into that character's head. You know, it's there are some parts of the movie that you feel should be funny. You know, when he's hysterically laughing and it should be funny, but it's not because you can see that pain in his face and it's just not funny. Or even when he's dancing in the bathroom, like you take that scene out of context and it's like, what is this dude doing? But you watch it in the film and it is heartbreaking. It's really strikes deep. So I think it was one of the first uh, times where um, you see the awards and you don't pick DiCaprio as your winning actor <laughs> yeah. because you see um, Joaquin Phoenix and you just can't compare the two in, in my opinion I mean it was a great film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood it was a long film it was a very long film but um, not as long as The Irishman <laughs> but um, I think you know DiCaprio did a great job in his role but it could not compare to the level that Joker was absolutely like it's I think it took a very different style of acting and a different headspace to be able to to do that. I think like with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like I'm a, like I said a huge Tarantino fan. That probably wasn't one of my top Tarantino movies. I think you had to be very familiar with old Hollywood to really appreciate um, that film on like a higher level. Um, but I mean, there were times where I felt like it was a bit indulgent. You know, like, it didn't need to be as long as it was. Some of the scenes didn't need to drag on as long as they did. Um, And the hallmarks of a Tarantino movie really didn't come in until the end. Mm. So, you know, having that alternative ending where it's, you know, that similar vibe with um, Inglorious Bastards where you're having this revenge plot where you're, like, correcting history there at the end um, and then in the, you know, violence and stuff at the end that he's oh so famous for. But... The rest of it, I think, felt more like his love letter to Hollywood. It was his sort of, this is what shaped me, so I'm putting yeah, it and back. And I think it, it makes sense, considering this was his ninth film out of the ten. Yeah. So he would have wanted to have an homage to Hollywood, and, yeah. that, and this was it. And I think you kind of need to look at it as its own film, rather than a Tarantino film. Otherwise, you will go in disappointed. It, yeah. It's naturally how 
a lot of people have read it and it's the best way to go in. So, I mean, I haven't watched many Tarantino films myself. I think one of the strongest ones for me was Django, just with the way that it was um, shot and, and storytelling again. For me, that was the one that stood out for me. But not knowing how much knowledge about Tarantino, um, going into this film, I had no expectations and I enjoyed the film. I mean, it was still long and I think there were parts, like you said, that couldn't could have been cut or shortened. But I mean, I don't see it as a Tarantino film. I see it as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. And I think that's probably the bias that I went in with because I'm quite a religious Tarantino film watcher and I've I own every single movie he's ever made and watch them in detail. And there are certain things, certain traits that the films have that I am quite partial to. So I think when I went to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the reason why it maybe wasn't my favorite one of his films is because a lot of those things that I love about his films were kind of missing in this one here. And I mean, I think he knows what he was doing. I think he was aware of the, you know, his tropes. Yeah. Because he's an auteur. And he knows what, what his audience tends to come for. So I think he would have done something very different on purpose. Mm. Because, I mean, if you look at some of the other films as well, I mean, yeah, they have similar storylines, but there's always something new or brought into it. That's true. Yeah, like, uh, if you look at his entire body of work, I mean, there's some very different films. Like, if you... Um, I always forget the name of this one. The Hateful Eight? No, the one where they're racing the cars... Oh, yeah, I'm the last one to ask. Yeah. It was one of his earlier films. Um, has Zoe Bell in it as a, um, as a stunt woman as well. And I've, it's completely slipped my mind. It's part of Grindhouse. I don't know what it's called. But, like, if you look at that, that is, a, you know, primarily, like, a car chase movie. It's not anything you think that Tarantino would touch but like it's it's done well again probably not one of my favorites but then that's totally different from something like Jackie Brown or The Hateful Eight is again a very different Reservoir Dogs is very understated and then you've got Django and Inglorious Bastards which are very uh high budget films so I guess it is kind of difficult to put his style into a box but he definitely has yeah, he he's has tropes. There, there's there's moments where you see the Tarantino in it. Yeah. But I mean, you you need to look at it, I guess, open-mindedly. Like, it's just a director creating this film. Yeah. And and appreciating the film for what it is rather than the expectations you have toward... And I think that's any kind of film that you go to see. No, that's true. Yeah. You have to, you have to look at it for its face value and not have any preconceptions on it because otherwise you will go in disappointed. Well, I suppose it's like if you if you go and see a Tim Burton movie, you have an expectation of what you're going to see. Uh, well, I mean, in in the same breath, though, you look at Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It had a dark, its dark elements, but it was shown in a very different way. So if you're looking at all of his other films, like Nightmare Before Christmas, um, Corpse Bride, uh, the Corpse Bride, um, you know, but I would argue Ed- Edward Scissorhands. I you would know? put Edward Scissorhands in the same category as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I think was the moment where a lot of people were very confused that it was a Tim Burton film. Because only really did well, the only dark parts really to that film, that if you watch it from a child's point of view, was um his story. It was Willy Wonka's story. Right. And the fact that he grew up with no chocolate and that he didn't get along with his father. That was the only dark part. I mean, aside from the children getting knocked off as they go along, <laughs> um, that was the dark part of the story. And we saw that through, you know, his 
uh, father's house being the only house left on the street and it's been covered in snow and it's um, very dark and mysterious but everything else in his entire world was brightly colored whereas you look at Edward Scissorhands and Edward well, himself was in black and the time period that it was set in all there were lots of colors but then you look at the corpse bride or you look at those other films that he makes he definitely has a color palette he does yeah so if i went and seen charlie and the chocolate i think charlie and the chocolate factory was probably the first tim burton film i saw so i had no expectations mm. of what the other ones were like but only after watching them do i see there's a difference yeah. whereas if you were a religious tim burton fan and you saw charlie and the chocolate factory you'd be disappointed i think a lot of people were disappointed anyway yeah <laughs> But um, do you, do you yeah. see the difference? If you go in and see the film as the film rather than Tim Burton's adaptation of it, it's totally different. Yeah, expectation is different and the experience is different. No, absolutely, I agree with that. So I think those are the things you really need to take into account when you're watching any film. Mm. Um, and that's why you win with storytelling all the time. Well, it has to be a good story. I think that that's why I I quite like psychological thrillers because... I feel like the writers of movies of that genre, they have to think very carefully about how they're going to twist the story because they have to keep their audience on their toes the whole time. So they have to be very creative. They have to be very unpredictable. They can't just have a straight storyline. It has to be very weavy, mm. for want of a better word. So I think that that's why I'm generally attracted to those kinds of stories because I love the twists. I like being surprised. I don't like knowing what's going to happen. Yeah, and I think that that's important not to know what happens. Otherwise, it defeats the whole purpose of the film. Well, not always. I think... I think sometimes, like, if it's done well... You know, like, like with Joker now, coming back to Joker, I don't think that there was anything that was unpredictable about that story. Yeah, the but... The story. It's because we knew the story, the origin, like the basis of what Joker was going to become. Yeah, but we what, knew that. what I'm saying is like the fact that it wasn't, that it wasn't unpredictable didn't hinder the film. No, but I mean, then again, was there much of a story? No. So then, there's, so then there's no element of predictability. We didn't know he was, oh, spoiler alert. We didn't know <laughs> that he was going to go and shoot Robert De Niro, you know, but there were those elements. We didn't know he was going to dance after he killed those bankers. You know, it's just, we, we understand that He's going through these periods. And we know because of the prior knowledge of what the joke is, what he creates. But there were no... no there was nothing there to, to really... I say I knew that was going to happen. Because there was no story. Yeah, that's true. I think where the... the um, well, I wouldn't say unpredictability, but it's kind of a jewel was the fact that it left you thinking afterwards. Yeah. I think, um, and there's so much that you could read into it as well, and so much that people have read into it. It was, you know, coming to the end of the, the film and wondering, did all of this happen? Did I, is he creating all of this? Is, you know, there were so many questions afterwards about what was real, what wasn't real. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to people who are like, oh, wait, the relationship with the girl wasn't real? Like, you know, that there's so much that kind of plays in there and there's so much that you can argue for or against with it. And I think that was also a really great thing about the film is that it opened discussions. Yeah. And I think we'll... I mean, even uh, the discussion between whether um, the Thomas Wayne is his father or not. Yeah. Actually, I, I wasn't sure there because I felt like even if he was... Thomas Wayne would act the same way. Yeah, and then even the the documents and stuff, he was a wealthy man. He could 
edit any document. Absolutely. You can make anyone look insane. In, insane. Yeah. So it's totally ambiguous. Ambiguous in that. In that situation. Yeah, it's whether you believe that um, Arthur is actually imagining all of the stuff, or whether, despite his mental illness, he is actually telling the truth, and he. And I love stories like this where you have an unreliable narrator because there's always that question of, are they telling me the truth? Do they even know what the truth is? Yeah, because maybe they don't even know what's going on. And we saw that in Joker, where he's learning with us. So, yeah, I I guess with with films like that, I appreciate as well because it's, it's honing in on one specific area and developing it as well as it can. But it's still an easy-to-follow film. Complex films can be complex but purposeful. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's okay. But when people try to overcomplicate a story for no apparent reason, then it then I, I just lose interest. Yeah, no, you it can't be complex for the sake of being complex. Otherwise, it tries too hard. But it has to make you think and feel. And I think everyone that saw Joker felt differently after they watched it. Like, I was in awe of what I had just seen. I felt sick. I felt sad. I could really feel those emotions as they were happening. And then the person that I watched it with was like a total mess afterwards. And it was like, I never want to see that thing again in my life. And I was sitting there thinking, I have to watch this movie again. Yeah, see, I went and saw it alone. I went and saw it out in, in uh, Auckland City. I think it was, um, was it Sky City Cinema? Or Event Cinemas in the, in the Metro. Oh, yeah. And, um... I walked out and I was walking past the Civic and I was just thinking, and I remember this distinctly crossing that road and I'm just thinking, what did I just see? <laughs> you know, so it was one of those movies that when you walk out, you do think about it. You can't stop thinking yeah. about it. No, absolutely. I walked out of there and I was totally blown away by what I saw and I realized there was going to be so many levels to this movie that one viewing was not going to be enough. And then the second time I went to see it, I saw it by myself. And again, it was a totally different experience because at that point, I'd watched all the YouTube videos, I'd done, you know, reading up on everything, and I wanted to see it now with the knowledge that I had. Because the first time I went in, I was totally fresh. I didn't watch any of the trailers. I didn't um, read anything about it. I wanted to be surprised. And then when I saw it the second time, I went in with all of this knowledge that I'd gathered since the first viewing and it was different it was a different experience i was looking for different things yeah um i think we should also give credit to the director todd phillips for, yeah. for creating it because if, if you don't know todd phillips also made the hangover movies not that the first one wasn't good but they <laughs> it was a very different kind of movie <laughs> a very different kind of movie i think that tended to be more of his area and i only watched part of the first um, hangover movie so I don't really know much about it but I mean I know the basis of it yeah. and it's not the same not at all so to take a, a film like that was quite well that makes a great argument for not basing what you watch on the director exactly because if you saw um, Todd Phillips guy who made um, hangover going to go and make a superhero movie you'd be very very confused but then again at the same breath when you look at um, Taika Waititi yeah. and his style and then he's bringing out uh, films like Hunt for the World of People or Boy. And then he goes and does Thor Ragnarok. But he <laughs> brings his style into it and made Thor very humorous. Um, Bring a new life. He brought, he brought, uh, yeah, he definitely did because the first director of Thor was Kenneth Branagh. And oh. he made it very Shakespearean. Mm. And then the second one, we won't talk about the second one. But the third <laughs> one was uh, Taika Waititi. And he's the 
director that they're bringing in for the second for the the fourth film as well the first time they've repeated a director because he brought a new style and new flavor to it that is seen in his other films so you've got directors like Todd Phillips which are totally you know can be anything and then you've got auteurs like um Tarantino Scorsese um YTT as well it's Mm -hmm. always part of that so it's quite interesting to to see how different directors take it and put their stamp on their films. Definitely, I mean, we look even in just um, in in the Batman universe, just from the two. Well, I guess we've seen a few variations of the Joker just in the last ten years. Yeah. Or I say ten, eleven years, because we've got um, Heath Ledger's Joker, yeah. and that's very different to Jared Leto's Joker. Yes. And then that's very different again to. Um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. And I think even if you go back further to um, Jack Nicholson's. Yeah. Um, but that's quite what I like about the character of the Joker is it's kind of open to interpretation. You know, you can take the basis of that character and mold it into whatever you want it to be and then put it out there. Like um, Christopher Nolan's Batman films had a very different tone to them, you know, um, from... I mean, I very briefly watched some of the, the older Batman films and they weren't really my cup of tea, but... Um, the Dark Knight definitely made its impression and it's because Heath Ledger's Joker really stole the show in that one. Yeah, and I mean, that's why he won the Oscar for it. And then to also see Joaquin Phoenix winning the Oscar for the same film, like within, what, 12 years later, you know, um, for the same character, sorry, is, is also to show the the Vers- complexity as well. And, and versatility of yeah. that character, absolutely. And then, yeah, if you look at Jared Leto's... Um, I think there was high expectations for what he was going to do with it. There was so much of media buzz about it. I think the problem with that was, I think they cut a lot of his scenes. True. And that didn't allow the Joker to actually be a featured character in that film. No, he was very much a side character in that film. But I do still feel like it was, look at me, I'm crazy, (laughs) you know, instead of... Whereas, like, Joaquin's Phoenix Joker, like, really internalized that crazy. And it was a very real, realistic version of crazy rather than I'm wild. But also, feel realistic in this time frame, in this time period. And when you look at uh, Jack Nicholson's joke and stuff, they were crazy. You know, it's... And, I mean, even just the way that they dressed and everything, very different. The the fact is, I think they were trying to model Jared Leto's one off that, off the traditional Joker. But they also try to overly modernize them with tattoos and short hair and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But if you put Joaquin Phoenix's Joker and Heath Ledger's Joker next to each other, that makes more sense. Yeah, they're, they're definitely more in the same vein of Joker, I think. Where you can... Like, what, what I quite liked about both of those is he makes sense. You know, in his madness and insanity, what he's saying is the truth. And... It kind of makes you question where you stand because you're listening to the supposed villain of this film and you understand where he's coming from and his argument is solid. He may choose an um, anarchical way of dealing with it, but the fact is the fact. Yeah. I think um, I think what they needed to do with um, Suicide Squad was give Jared a little more screen time so that they had a chance. And because, motive. Well, I mean, I think... Well, definitely the story needed to be improved as well. And I think if they made it a restricted film, they would have had a lot more freedom to do that. Yeah. But I think um, there was so much hype and buzz around Joker that um, 
caused this, this issue with Jared Leto. Because I think he would have put in a lot of effort and tried his best to do... Because he was the one straight after Heath Ledger. Yeah. So everyone would be comparing the two. It's big shoes to fill. But see, now what happened is with um, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, everyone was comparing him to Jared Leto's one, not... Um, <laughs> true. That's very true. Not to Heath Ledger. So maybe we needed that down period, I guess, to... <laughs> appreciate. Appreciate it. So, I mean, it's, it's an interesting situation. And I feel sorry for him a lot. <laughs> because... He was very stressed to try and get that character right. But, I mean, it was down to the scriptwriters. Because the thing is, also, he's not a bad actor. He, Jared Leto. Like, well, didn't he get nominated for an Oscar? He was. Um, Did he, he win? Was in the, um, it was the one where he was, um, I think, transgender. But he had AIDS. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about, but I can't remember the name of the film. Dallas Buyers Club. Dallas Buyers Club. Dallas That's Buyers with Club. Um, Matthew McConaughey. That's right, it? yeah. And I mean, I've, I've seen him also in, in Fight Club. He didn't have a major role or anything, but he's not like a terrible actor. He's not like a musician wannabe actor that's actually, you know, not good at it. Yeah, and, and that's why I, I think it was down to the script writers making that, and the director making the decision to not make it a, a restricted film. So I think that's where the issues lie. So we're totally talking about Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. So we've discussed the film. film. One of my, one of my favorite, favorite films. So, so what? what, uh, what uh, your favorite films? Uh, definitely, uh, definitely, definitely, my favorite film is *The Shawshank Redemption*. Redemption. I think, I think that's one of the best, films. films. That's just that. It's just, it's just every, every, every element, the way that's crafted, the way that's told, and for a film made 26 years ago, it still stands the time. I still, I still make people watch it to this day, and even if they're not, they're locked in a one day. When they do, they realize how good it is. Good it is, and that's and that's compared to films. From 1999 to now, and and still having that same effect on people is just showing how strong this film is to the time, really. I maintain that the films from the 90s are amongst the best. Oh, they definitely are. It's very hard to find good films now, but by the short hand redemption, you know, turning a Stephen King novella into such a well-known film like this. And I mean, there's nothing like other Stephen King, King novels. No, no, I didn't, I didn't even know the Stephen King novels. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, and um, it was a short, it was a short story. And, and it turned, it turned it into, into such a well-recognized well film today. About a simple, simple story between two men and their, and their friendship. And how, and how that kind of grows, grows as the time goes when they're in prison to when they are. On the, beach. on the beach. So, so it's, you know, you, you know, you feel, feel for them, them you, and you feel feel for Andy, Andy and, and Red and Red in their situations, and how and they how they got there. there. And it's just, and it's just, just there's so many elements to that film that consistently stand, stand out. And and whether you whether you want the ones or the white tide times, you just know know that once you've watched it. Yeah, yeah. To have to have that kind of audience, and it's a it's a sad sad film, but it's also good feel good film at the same time. Why would you say that? Well, I mean, well, I mean, it's just the the progression where they where they start and and the the positions that they went into the way the way that the film ends. It just it just you it's like it's like it's heartwarming. I think I think like um. Red's red reviews, you know, for you know, parole, parole are like good, are like good markers of that, of that progression. Definitely, definitely. And then you'll you see the aging as well. As well. And, 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 and I think even the story of Brooks as well. A very story story breaks my heart every time I see it. Exactly. And you 
and then even, and then the, even the fact that we're in red, red, red goes in place, place and they stay in the same house, same house. And, it's, and it's just, it, it, shows, it how shows how routine everything, everything is, is for the prison, prison. The prison. Yeah, job, job, he went, he went and worked at the exact same place, place. Lived, in the, lived in the exact same place, place. and it makes, and it makes you think that this is just another form of prison. Absolutely. Absolutely, and I think, and I think that's, that's kind of the point he's made to it, too. It's like, when you're, when so, you're so used to, used to prison, prison outside, outside world, you're prison. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I mean, he's always so much of how he was there 40 years, I think. And he wants to stay. He wants to do something, so they stay there. And when he was out of 40 years. So the similarity was very strong. But you argue then that it's his French Andy and gave him a reason Definitely was. It was definitely his French Andy and because when they were sitting, sitting against the wall, the wall and they were talking about what they would do, get out, get out. And when Andy and told, told him, go to go to place, place, find, find the, the stone, stone and, you know, you know, take whatever's whatever there. It gave him motivation to go and do something. It gave him a purpose that he was looking after his birth. So he had to let go of So after that, he had nothing. He really, really had nothing. Because he imagined that from when there was a small level, that was lost to a big... Grown, grown thing. A metaphor, a metaphor for himself, perhaps. If you want to look at it in deep, deep way, way, <laughs> sure, sure. But I mean, but, I mean that, 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 that also cut out his path, path whereas, whereas Red had, Red had one. one. No, I definitely no, I think, think it's, it is, it is one of the best films I think it's a long film, but it's worth the time. It's only about two hours. If, I mean, I mean, like, it's a... It's a slow, it's a slow, it's a Especially, especially from the time, time of the 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 time of the
you know, you know, he's, he's wrong, wrong, wrong so he has, so he has right the right to tunnel, to tunnel out and escape and not, and not be caught be and, and outsmart everybody. everybody. And, and those, those who have done wrong paid the price, price, like, like, uh, Wooden, Wooden, who takes his own light at the end. Um, you know, he, you know, he paid the price for corruption. Um, whereas, uh, whereas I think, I think the reason that Andy, Andy was able to go free, free was because he was, was innocent. Whereas, whereas Red, Red, even though even a good person, good person was, guilty was guilty of the crime that he committed, committed and he served his 40 years. 40 years. Yeah, do you feel like he served his 40 years? 40 years? I guess that was his punishment, right, obviously. But do you, but do you feel like getting, getting off on getting on getting on parole was justified for him? I think I so. Think so. He, did, he, did the crime. he did the crime, but he did the time. time. <laughs> so he, so he did the crime, and I think his, his friendship, friendship with Andy, and even his just the years and years that he spent in prison, prison so he that friendship, friendship kind of kind of changed, changed him, him as a person. Because especially especially if you look at those reviews of parole, and change, you know, from someone who was begging, begging, you know, done, 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 and again to get to the point where you're like, I accept where I am in my life. You know, you know, it's it shows, it shows growth and it shows, and it shows different difference at that range. So I think that that is his redemption. redemption. But again, but again, he breaks straight up, straight down. He gets up, gets up. So again, again, you could you could easily say it it could either be that that's what this was how how the film was structured that you that you feel people who did you feel feel for the characters that you the most most definitely investing in, or or and and they get they get what they deserve. Or, or they don't they don't get it, but just they're still supporting them because of the of the of the story. I want I want yeah yeah. Because then it's like when like when he breaks breaks the old 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 Cheated. 
folks have got to do with it once. Yeah, the audience in those other two films, they spend those two main characters, Aaron and Rubble, they spend the entire film trying to convince you of their innocence. To a, to a point where you believe, believe it, because, because they are convincing you, you as they are, as they are convincing um, the legal, legal powers, powers that be in the respective films. And so, and so you and, and the people the, they're trying, they're trying to convince both you achieve cheat at the end of it, because, because they fooled you. Whereas, like, whereas like and these were made, were made around, around, around the same time as Shawshank, which is why I kind of put them in the same bubble there. I think this was designed to be a feel-good film, and I think it was... I mean, towards, I mean, towards the, the end, at least. And I, and I think that the director, the director wanted, wanted you to want that friendship, that friendship vibe. vibe. And so, and so things, like things like Breaking Parole, parole and Escapism was a movie that high crimes in that in sense. That sense. Not, not, not intense, intense enough, enough to break, break how you would feel that they're
this would probably, would probably be the key for today. today. Maybe, maybe, maybe next time we can discuss, discuss some of our other about favorites, favorites and Joker's. And Joker's. One, of one of my more recent, recent favorites, but I think my, my top films would probably be Fight Club, Memento, really, really enjoyed Parasite recently as well. Reservoir Dogs is done by one of my Tarantino films, I'd like to get into that a little bit as well. Primal Fear is also up there, Yes, 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 Alright, well, thank you very much for listening. Made it made it far. I hope you enjoyed it. 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 Enj